0: Last week we were in John 14. Jesus had been telling his disciples to be happy that he was going away because it meant greater things because he was going to send the Holy Spirit to help them to remind them of what they've been taught by him. It's a strange thing to say it's been a strange few chapters hasn't it if you've been tracking with us over the last few weeks He's been talking to them about going away. They've been pretty desperate, pretty uh, perplexed by what he's had to say. If you remember, John's purpose in this whole gospel is to present Jesus in such a way that it becomes clear that he is the Christ and that by believing that, those who believe it might have life in his name. So he's very careful in what he presents to us. And throughout this chapter, throughout this gospel, Jesus has presented himself through a series of images or metaphors, and in this one, this chapter now, chapter 15, he's presenting himself as a vine. It's the final time that he does this and makes a statement that, that kind of demonstrates that he's more than just a rabbi, he's more than just a mystic, he's more, he's just more. He's used lots of images from Israel's history throughout this chapter, throughout this gospel. Images and ideas that are associated with the chosen king that Israel has been waiting for, their long-awaited Messiah. So in chapter six, he's described himself as the bread of life. In chapter eight, he's described himself as the light of the world. In chapter 10, he is the gate. Also in chapter 10, he's the good shepherd. In chapter 11, he describes himself as the resurrection and the life. In the chapter we were hearing from last week, he described himself as the way, the truth, and the life. And now he tells his disciples, I am the vine, the true vine. Now they would have known the vine not just as a common plant crop grown by most farmers, but also as a symbol of the nation of Israel itself. And it's a symbol that works on many levels, whether or not you are aware of the connection between the nation of Israel and its history and the vine or not. But in using this symbol to his followers, they would have been clearly hearing a claim, a further claim to him being the Messiah and his resurrection would go on to prove this claim. But you may also have been using this metaphor in relation to Judas as a branch which had already become detached from the vine and it may have been a warning to them. And I think we can take it as a warning to us as well. But the image also works for us even though we don't have a connection like they do to the idea of the vine as standing for their nation. Because we can all understand the principle, can't we? We've all seen plants with branches that are detached, withering, a few branches that were dislodged by the wind earlier this week have probably been withering throughout the week. Even if we haven't seen a vine up close, we've all seen trees, we all see what happens just in nature. Things cannot grow or develop once they become detached from their life source. And Jesus hammers a particular point home in this section of the chapter. He keeps repeating some variation of the instruction to remain in me. Eight times between verses four, between verses four and verse 10, he repeats remain in me in some form. It's a positive instruction from the one who describes himself as the vine, as the life source, as well as all these other images that he's mentioned before. He's describing himself as the source of their very life. So he's inviting them to remain connected to the life-giving flow of God himself. And the word that he uses from the Greek, is the Greek word meno, which actually means to literally dwell somewhere. So he's saying dwell in me, dwell in the vine. To remain, to dwell is to become immersed in a place, to embed yourself in a place, to take on all that you can in this context about Jesus, about this life he's talking about, about his teaching, about his character. He's speaking of a lifestyle, not a hobby or an activity. It is to ponder what you hear from this pulpit, or any other, or in your Bible study, or in your personal devotions, or in conversations with believers or other sermons that you listen to. To remain in the vine, to remain in Jesus, is to draw your life from him to allow him to shape your perspectives and your priorities. He's not going to force you. It's up to us to intentionally make what we, hear, we learn here or in other sources to bleed into the weak, into our responses to annoying situations. Those neighbors that drive us mad or that family member or that idiot on social media. It means allowing God's word to challenge and shift and sift and change us so that we begin to look and sound more like Jesus. So that our desires and therefore our prayers align more and more with who Jesus is. In his commentary on this passage, D.A. Carson explains it like this. A truly obedient believer One who's doing all the things I'm describing proves effective in prayer since all he or she asks for conforms to the will of God. And this is what Jesus means when he speaks of our prayers being answered in verse 7. He says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In our Alpha session this week on prayer, Nikki Gumbel pointed out quite rightly that God is not a slot machine that just produces what we want just because we ask him. As we dwell with Jesus, our love for him grows. As we take on board all that he has taught us into our lives and seek to apply it, our love for him grows and he gives us different, better desires than the ones we would not otherwise have so that we increasingly want what he wants. So we pray for the things that he would have us pray for And God is pleased to answer such prayers. And we see in verse 9 that Jesus introduces the word love. Remain in my love, he urges, after telling them about the love that the Father has for him and that he has for them. And in doing this, he makes love interchangeable with staying in himself. To remain in him is to remain in his love. And he says explicitly, remain in my love. And to do that, to remain in his love, we are to love. Love becomes his final instruction, his final commandment at the end of this section of this chapter. And he gives this commandment twice, in verse 12 and again in verse 17, and it's a re- A repetition of his instruction to them in chapter 13. To remain in Jesus' love is to obey his command to love. Not superficially, but sacrificially, as he is about to demonstrate. There's lots of repetition in this chapter, you may have noticed as John was reading it. Because Jesus really wants his disciples to get this. He wants them to remain in him so that they will live and flourish under the care of the Father. There is joy, complete joy. There is glory, there is friendship, there is closeness. They are no longer servants in this context, but friends. They're no longer barred from knowing what he's about because he's revealed to them everything that God has revealed to him. This is what Jesus wants for his followers. He wants them to remain in him for these good things. He wants them to remain because if they don't, if they don't remain, consequences are dire. We don't like to talk about these things, do we? We don't like to think about them We might even make jokes about the old fire and brimstone preachers who speak about judgment, but here it is, isn't it? Those branches that don't remain in him, which don't produce fruit, those branches are destined for destruction. If you don't believe me, you can look in verse 2 or verse 4 or verse 5 or verse 6. He describes only two scenarios here, the fruitful branches which flourish, a picture of the life and the outcomes of the obedient disciple, or the withering and waste of the disobedient one. The fate of Judas is a powerful demonstration of one who did not stay in the vine, and whose life ended in destruction. It doesn't mean that if we remain in the vine, everything goes well. If you don't produce fruit, you're you're cut away, But if you do produce fruit, you're pruned to produce more fruit. That speaks of challenge and difficulty. But it's for our good, for it to make us more fruitful. But there's quite a sharp contrast in this chapter between the positive, expanding, productive life of the branch that remains in the vine and the desolation and the waste of the one that doesn't. And the choice is ours. God will let us get by doing our own sweet thing until the time that it comes for judgment, at which point He will cut off every branch that does not bear fruit. Do you know which one you are? If you're connected to the vine, you have the life of Jesus in you. You want to do what God wants. You're excited about the things of God. You didn't have to be persuaded or strong-armed to be here this morning, for example. You enjoy the opportunity to gather with the family of believers here week after week, to grow, to learn, to serve, not necessarily every moment of every day, but your life and your heart are open towards God. If you're not connected to the vine or you feel your connection is a little bit weak, maybe this is an opportunity for you to reassess. Let me urge you to come back to the source of living water, to drink deeply of the refreshment that comes from Jesus, to remember that he is the source of your life can I encourage you to examine what might be distracting you or drawing you away from what you know to be good, nourishing, healthy, rich, and eternal. The love of the one who made you and loves you best. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. So don't allow yourself to be tripped up by what you could have or should have or would have done differently. God is inviting you now to taste and see how good he is. If you've never tasted and seen how good he is, this is your moment. Jesus asks us all to remain in the vine. Amen.